We'll take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10. Uh, but before I begin the message, I, I want to say a, a word of thanks uh, to the many of you who helped distribute the Thanksgiving bags yesterday. Uh, some 150 families came and, and received those bags yesterday. And uh, so thank you. In fact, if we could express a word of appreciation for all of you. <clears throat> it, was a, uh, it was such a beautiful thing to see not only those families coming, but, but families being prayed for, prayed with. Uh, bags helped carry out to their car. And uh, so thank you. Thank you, not only those who helped yesterday, but for all of you who helped provide those bags of food that will bless so many families over this Thanksgiving season. Uh, now, we have about 50 bags left that will be distributed this week as well. And uh, so, again, thank you so, so very much for, for being a, a part of that. Um, you are well aware that the subject of divorce uh, can be a sensitive subject sometimes, right? I suspect there's probably not a, a single family in this entire room this morning who has not been touched in some way, shape, or form by divorce. And to make matters worse, however, in spite of the fact that it is a source of deep hurt for so many, I'm afraid that the evangelical church in America, some elements of the church in America, have made things worse uh, with, on, the, on the part of some evangelical leaders who have maintained a, a legalistic perspective of some of the very words that we're going to be looking at that Jesus had to say, have approached it in such a tragic legalistic manner that they have ultimately treated divorcees as though we're, they were second-class citizens. Now, I have to confess that when I first got serious about following God's Word, that I was much more legalistic than I care to admit. Legalism's easy, right? I mean, it's easy. Everything's either black or white. There's no gray area. It's just, it's not complicated. But I will, to this day, never forget when I got my first wake-up call. A little bit of background here first. This is a little bit... Complicated, so please hang in there with me. But uh, I want to describe my family to you a little bit. Um, my father, um, uh, excuse me, my, my 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 mother was married to another man before she married my father, whose name his name was Curtis. Uh, he actually was a, was divorced and remarried to her, and um, they were married for six years prior to the time that he developed stomach cancer and ultimately died. Um, my older sister, Elizabeth, was the product of their marriage, and she was about two years old when, when Curtis died. Now, <clears throat> if you've ever wondered why I'm so screwed up, it's because of this birth order thing, all right? <laughs> you know, I, I'm the firstborn of my father and the middle child of my mother, so I'm a firstborn wannabe with middle child hangups. <laughs> That's just, just the way it is. <laughs> Are you still with me? <laughs> so it was sometime around my uh, third year in seminary that I, I was at home on break and I was engaged in conversation with my mom, for whatever reason, about the subject of divorce and remarriage. 
And I began to wax forth very legalistically. In, in fact, talked about this one verse, one of the verses that we're going to talk about today where Jesus said, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And I was waxing forth again, pontificating in a very pharisaical way, having completely forgot about my mother's background. And then after I went on and on and on for a little while, all of a sudden she, she stopped me in her typical, very gentle and graceful way. She asked. She said, so, Hess, are you telling me then that during those six years that I was married to Curtis before he died, that we were living in a perpetual state of adultery? Ouch. <laughs> I mean, needless to say, God jerked a knot in my legalistic head right then and there. And I determined from that point on to start learning to dig a little deeper to try to get to the heart of Jesus' teaching. Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and asked him and, and tested him by asking, <clears throat> Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, as we've been seeing over and over and over again throughout the Gospel of Mark, these Religious leaders continue to circle around Jesus like a bunch of buzzards, hoping in some way they can trip him up, discredit his ministry, or just downright get rid of him. I mean, there is a group that behind the scenes that is actually plotting to kill Jesus, hoping for their opportunity. Verse 3. What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to, to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now, why was this question a test for Jesus? Now, we'll understand as we go along with this conversation. The Pharisees, as they're quoting Moses here, are referring to a practice that was established in the law of Moses. Going back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24, and verse 1, where we read, suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, or as some translations say, having found something indecent in her, he writes a, certificate, a, a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. <clears throat> now, a little historical background here, <clears throat> because <clears throat> when we read that verse, we immediately think this is not good for the woman. Right, but actually, this it was in, this was a law written intended to protect a woman. You see, prior to God's law, the law that was traditionally abided by throughout the, in, in the ancient Near East was called the Code of Hammurabi. And according to the Code of Hammurabi, under that code, a man could divorce his wife for any reason at any time just by simply walking out of the house. That's it. Just walk out. Just walk out. Have you ever heard of the country western song entitled, Walk Out Backwards So I'll Think You're Walking In? (laughs) 
That's pretty much how it was. I mean, the man could just walk out of the house frontwards or backwards and leave the woman high and dry. If they had kids, leave the woman and the kid, leave his wife and kids high and dry. No money, no way to make a living. And if the man later changed his mind, he could just walk right back in and reclaim his wife, reclaim his kids, reclaim the house, reclaim anything he wanted. In other words, the woman was always the victim. She had no legal recourse or support when it came to the matter of divorce. So the intention of this law of Moses was to provide women with something they had never had before, and that was legal protection. That was the purpose of this certificate, this document of divorce. It legally protected the woman from being abused socially and to some extent financially as well by her ex-husband. In other words, in ancient Israel, divorce and remarriage were permitted, but, they were, but it was controlled and regulated. However, time goes on. Hundreds of years later, as you're approaching the time of Jesus, significant variations in the interpretation of that part of Deuteronomy 24, which reads, having discovered something wrong with her or found something indecent, to put it mildly, significant variations of interpretation had come about. See, by Jesus' day, the most popular school of interpretation said that something wrong or something indecent referred not just to sexual immorality of some kind, but to anything else deemed by the husband, deemed by the man to be wrong with her or something that he did not like. In our day, we use the term no-fault divorce. I mean, in that day, it was literally any-fault divorce, any-fault. In fact, they made an official list of the things that could qualify as indecencies, which included things like if a, if a woman walked around with her hair down without first asking permission from her husband. If the wife spoiled the dinner. I'm serious. If she argued loud enough with her husband that the neighbors could hear. If she watched too many Hallmark movies. <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. They, they didn't have Hallmark back then. If they had, I'm sure it would have made the list, though. There's no so do you get the picture of what was happening? I, I mean, divorce had just become a legal means of dumping your wife if you got tired of her. Or if another woman caught your eye to the extent that you began to think, well, I might like better to be married to her. So the next time the wife burns the meatloaf or puts too much salt in the soup, she was done. Crazy, isn't it? I mean, they took a law that was meant to protect women from the very kind of abuse that they twisted that law to accomplish instead. So as you can well imagine, instead of working at marriage when things got difficult, they just divorced by the rules. Oh, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just doing what Moses said. 
I'm abiding by the letter of the law. In other words, the primary focus in Jesus' day was not about how to keep a marriage together. It was all about how to justify breaking one apart. So this question is a test for Jesus in this way. The Pharisees are hoping that Jesus is going to make some kind of statement against what had, for obvious reasons, had become a very popular interpretation of this law in that day among the Israelite men. So what does Jesus do? Well, he skips all the debate over the interpretation of that law. And he goes, remember, Jesus is the smartest man who ever lived. And he goes right to the heart. Verse 5. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. Your hearts were hard. He said. In other words, what was once tender and pliable becomes inflexible and hard. Now, would you agree that hard hearts can be a problem in marriage, right? Before you got married, while you and your spouse were dating, I mean, your hearts were so soft and pliable. I mean, just downright mushy, right? But if you don't carefully guard your heart, the challenges that begin to arise in marriage and trying to make that marriage work can cause your heart to grow hard. So instead of seeking to serve one another, you must prefer to be served instead. Instead of seeking reconciliation, you prefer to fix blame. Instead of confessing your own faults, you exaggerate the faults of your spouse to the extent that a mug, coffee mug left out on the kitchen counter is evidence of a major behavioral disorder. <laughs> Contempt starts to set in. And what happens then? Well, that's when you start taking what can be described as little exits. Little exits. Now, divorce is the big exit. But long before that, you start taking little ones. Just small decisions to withdraw from your marriage. Those little exits can take many forms. Working late. Going to work early. Watching TV, binge watching TV, spending a lot of time on projects out in the garage, spending increasing amounts of time online, social media, pornography, etc., etc., etc. You take those little exits long enough until one day the thought crosses your mind oh, I think I married the wrong person. If I just married the right person, I'd be happy. You actually start to think of your marriage as though you are a consumer. Like you're buying a car. I got a lemon. 
if I'd only bought a Lamborghini, if I'd only married somebody else. And so you take the big exit of divorce so that you can get another make and model. One do you think is going to be that Lamborghini? Only to wake up sometime later beginning to think, yet once again, I think I got another lemon. There's a big difference in buying a car in marriage, isn't there? <laughs> a big difference. When you buy a car, you're just passively consuming it. But when you get married, you're not consuming. You are creating. You're creating. You, you are joining with God in the process of creating, of the two becoming one. That is the vision that Jesus is calling them back to here. Marriage is God designed it from the very beginning. Look at verse 6. But at the beginning of creation, this is Jesus talking, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The two, Jesus said, will become one flesh, which is much more than just about the physical union. It's the union of body, mind, and soul. And that takes work, does it not? I mean, marriage is not something you can just passively consume. It's something you have to create, to work to create. So instead of always asking that consumer-oriented question, which is what, what am I getting from this marriage? We should ask instead, what am I giving to this marriage? Or maybe better yet, what is God getting from this marriage? Well, this is a huge, huge course correction for these Pharisees and for anybody else who was listening. I mean, they're trying to legitimize any way they can find to get out of marriage while Jesus is telling them to find every way they possibly can to stay in marriage. Well, in the meantime, the disciples, of course, have been observing this confrontation that's taking place between Jesus and the Pharisees. Verse 10 when they were in the house again, so they're just a private time together now at this point, the disciples asked Jesus about this, about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now, here in Mark's gospel, Jesus gives no exception, allowing for divorce. But in Matthew's gospel account of the same incident, Jesus does give an exception. Matthew 9, 19, 9, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now let me ask, are you still with me here? Because this is where we start getting really gimped up. Because some will take Jesus' statement here and say that the only legitimate reason a Christian can get a divorce is if adultery is committed. 
Still others will say that even that is pushing it in light of the fact that there is no exception given by Jesus in, God, in Mark's gospel. And then on top of that, they turn around and treat people who have gotten a divorce as though they have committed an unpardonable sin. Let me ask, if adultery is the only legitimate reason for divorce, does that mean that a woman who is being beaten within an inch of her life every other day by her husband is supposed to stay in that marriage if she wants to be obedient to Christ? But then the moment that he goes out and commits adultery, then she can bail out. Is that Christ's intention? What if one spouse is engaged in some illegal activity that puts the family in danger? What if a spouse engages in incest? What about unrelenting emotional abuse? What about drug addiction, alcohol addiction, substance abuse addiction, sexual addiction, all without ever making any effort to try to get help? What about gambling addiction that leaves the family in constant financial problems? There are so many things that, that Jesus does not specifically mention or that the Bible mentions anywhere else. So, does Jesus mean that if you get divorced for any reason other than sexual immorality, that you should just resign yourself to the fact that you're going to live in a permanent state of adultery from that day on? Does it mean that my mother and her first husband lived in a state of adultery for six years before he died? Then again, what if your spouse does commit adultery? Is divorce supposed to be automatic at that point, or is there room for forgiveness and redemption and rebuilding of that relationship? Friends, Jesus is not making divorce law for Christians here. His purpose here is not to establish the only legitimate and forgivable reason for divorce, and then therefore by default labeling all other divorce as illegitimate and those divorcees as second-class Christians. No. No. Jesus is jerking a knot in the self-serving heads of those Israelite men and the heads of anyone else who would take a cavalier approach to God's creation and design for marriage. He's given a clarion call to faithfulness. He's using a degree of hyperbole to call them away from spending all their energy on figuring out how to get out of a, of a marriage to giving their energy instead to building a marriage. He's calling them up to God's original purpose for marriage to right hearts, to a oneness in marriage that reflects the oneness of our triune God. One final question. Did you know that God is a divorcee? Did you know that? In Malachi 2, God says, I hate divorce. And he says that for good reason, because God went through it. He's been through it. Book of Jeremiah, God says, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. 
See, God himself has been through the heartache of humiliation, the humiliation of being rejected, the pain of betrayal, the anguish of broken vows, all done to him by his his hard-hearted people. So you know what God did? God created the first divorce recovery program at the place we call Calvary. The price for the course was one bloodstained cross, a price that Jesus paid for all of us. So that at the cross, there is love and compassion for hard-hearted, hard-hearted vow breakers like you and me. Because let's be honest, we, we have all been unfaithful to him. Don't we all need the cross? Because it's at the cross of Christ that our relationship with God is healed. And it's also at the cross of Christ that our relationship with others can be healed. It's at the cross where our hearts can be made right with spouses we're finding difficult to love. It's at the cross where you find healing for a hurting heart, where you experience God's love and grace and forgiveness, and where you can find his power to forgive those who have sinned against you. If you're struggling in your marriage this morning, Will you ask him for his help, for his help, for his strength to renew your commitment to one another? If you're hurting in any way related to any of this, will you let him heal your heart today? If you have roots of bitterness in your heart, will you you let him pull those out and replace them with a spirit of forgiveness? And peace. That's what he does for you at the cross. That's what he does. Let's pray.